We at Amazing Stories are thankful for and gracefully accept the donations we receive from our listeners from across the world who count on the unique programming we provide. You too can donate through the link provided in the description section of each episode. Please keep in mind that the continued support from our growing audience helps us fulfill our mission of bringing you a new amazing story every day. Thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to enjoy our stories. Northern Lights by Philip Pullman Dramatised by Lavinia Murray I am Balthamos, a listener of lives, a recording angel. I, Balthamos, have come to this Oxford, one of innumerable Oxfords scattered throughout the world, and to this Jordan College, one of countless numbers within parallel universes because of one unique ten-year-old girl, Lyra Belacqua. Her world differs from all others in a very strange way. The human soul is an animal called a demon. The demon can think and speak, and during childhood it changes shape, beast to bird to fish to insect. It illustrates every mood. One glance will tell you a person's character. No one can pretend to be something they're not. Come on, Pan. Lyra and her demon, Pantalaimon, Pan for short, who's currently in the form of a brown Hebrew character moth, move through Jordan College's darkening hall. They keep to one side, out of sight of the kitchen, and follow the length of the three great tables laid with silver and glass. Lyra reaches the central dais, looks back at the open kitchen door, and steps up beside the high table. This is set with gold cutlery and crystal goblets. She flicks the largest goblet with her fingernail. Shh! This is serious, Lyra. You know we shouldn't be here. If we're caught, please, Lyra. Let's go now. Come on, please, please. We ain't going yet. The steward will be here any minute. It doesn't come in till the first bell. Look in the retiring room, Pan. See if anyone's there. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Roger dared me. So go on, flutter off. Pantalaimon flies the short distance to the retiring room, looks round warily, and returns to Lyra's wrist. Anyone? No. Good. The first girl ever to set foot in here, Pan. They don't even let maidservants clean it. Congratulations. Can we go now? <laughs> I haven't finished. They do themselves well, don't they? Look at this smoke leaf and poppy seed. And that chair looks really comfy. It's like sitting on a big fat cloud. What do you think they talk about in here? Not about you, that's for sure. Quick, Lyra, hide! Lyra crouches behind the huge winged armchair as the master of Jordan College and his butler enter. The master's demon is a raven called Leonor. The butler's, in common with all servants, is a dog, which he's called Fidolia. Has uh, Lord Asriel arrived yet, Wren? No, Master. When he does, show him straight into hall. Very good, Master. And uh, you've decanted some of the special 1898 Tokai. 
Yes, Master, his lordship is very partial to that. Now leave me, please. The Master reaches into the deep oak wardrobe, taking a moment to choose a robe. He shakes it free of the hanger, scattering dust and two spiders, and pulls it on. His raven Leonor settles on his shoulder. We have business to attend to, Leonor. Pity we have to use the real Tokai as bait. Lord Azurel drinks with moderation, but the cold may encourage him to drink more. The master of Jordan College unstoppers the decanter, removes a piece of folded paper from his pocket, opens one edge and pours a thin stream of white powder into the wine. He stirs it with a pencil, a 2B, his favorite for marking student papers. The air suddenly smells of marzipan. The master goes to suck the drips from the pencil, but his demon stops him with a shriek. Don't! Well, quite. <laughs> I don't want to accidentally uh, do away with myself. Thank you, Leonor. If Lord Azrael were to live, the consequences would be catastrophic. Yes, yes. Unthinkable. Did you see that pan? I could hardly miss it. Now let's get out. Stuart's bell. I thought we had more time. Just wait till he finds us in here. I don't care if we get caught, but I don't understand. Why did the master put that stuff in? We're in big trouble. Get into the wardrobe, Pan. Oh. Oh, we could prevent a murder. Oh, yes. Are you going to jump out and snatch the glass? Well, I'll do something. Shh. The butler. I can see him helping himself to leave from the smoking mill. Get, get off. Oh. You're standing uh, on me. Oh, sorry. Lord Asriel. has gone bright red. Good evening, Wren. I took the liberty of assuming the master would allow me to use the room in his absence. I see you made a similar assumption about the smoking leaf. <clears throat> I, um... Shall I let the master know you've arrived? You can also bring me some coffee. Coffee? Of course. The butler and his red-setter demon leave. Stelmaria, Lord Asriel's demon, a snow leopard, watches them disappear. Are you going to show the slides in here, Azriel? It's somewhat cramped. Yes, Delmaria. Claustrophobia will make my most horrible exhibit even more frightening, and it will loosen the college purse strings. You ought to be resting, not raising funds. Coffee, Lord Azriel. Thank you, Ren. Is that Tokai I can see on the table? Yes, the master ordered it decanted especially for you, my lord. How very thoughtful. I'll leave the tray beside me. Oh, and fetch the two cases I left in the lodge. I'll also need a screen and a projecting lantern. Very good, my lord. Stelmaria, I think I'll have some of the master's Tokai. He's in a generous mood for a change. That bodes well. Lyra, what the hell are you doing here? Let go and I'll tell you. How dare you come in here? I've just saved your life. Explain yourself, girl. That wine's poisoned. The master put some white powder in it. Right, back in. Make a noise and you wish you were dead. Do you understand? Yes. Ow, you stood on me again. Well, move then. Enter. Cases, my lord. Put them on the table. Lord Azra watches the butler choosing his moment before kicking the table leg and sending the decanter toppling. Oh. 
A flood of poisoned wine streams over the expensive, if threadbare, carpet. Damn you, Wren! Look what you've done! Truly sorry, my lord. I must have been closer than I thought. I Get something to clear up the mess. Hurry up. Of course. Since you're in there, Lyra, make yourself useful. Watch the master closely. Uncle Ezreal, what if I want to sneeze? Then get Pan to smother you. Yeah. Projecting lantern and screen, my lord. Set the lantern up by the wardrobe, and I'll have the screen at the other end, by the window. When the screen and lantern are in place, the butler drops to his hands and knees and works a cloth into the carpet, wincing at the strong smell of detergent. But then his red-setter demon starts lapping at the edge of the spill, and the butler can taste the tokai. He smiles to himself before catching Fidolia by her neck and pulling her away. Later tonight, he'll wonder why they both have a bellyache. Have they finished dinner? Very nearly, my lord. The master and his guests won't linger when they know you're here. Shall I take the coffee tray? Yes, take it and go. Asriel, we must be very wary of our host. I can't take the master's attempt on my life personally, Stel Maria. He's a pragmatist. He acts to protect Jordan College. Lord Asriel. Master. I came too late and didn't wish to disturb your dinner, so I made myself at home. I'd offer you some of the delicious Tokai, only the butler knocked it over before I'd even enjoyed one glass. You can imagine my disappointment. I can. And you can probably imagine mine, too. Yes, it's almost tangible. Let me prepare some poppy seeds. Let it clarify the mind and stimulate the tongue. I'll say sort themselves out. I'm going to get a robe to learn. If you get comfy, you'll fall asleep. Then wake me up. I don't want to miss anything. Gentlemen, I'm sure I speak for all of us when I bid Lord Azrael welcome. Yes, yes, yes. His rare visits are always immensely valuable. Yes. I imagine there will be some questions. Please keep them brief. <laughs> Lord Azrael. Would you care to begin? Thank you. Perhaps the master would like to have the chair near the wardrobe. That's so we can watch his reactions. The devil did. He knew about the wine. He's going to ask for funds, master. If he forces a vote... We must argue against him. Lord Azrael drops a photographic slide into the middle frame at the front of the projector. Gentlemen, scholars, as you know, I set out for the North 12 months ago on a diplomatic mission to the King of Lapland. In truth, my real aim was to go further north to try to discover what had happened to the Grumman expedition. The photograph was taken with a standard silver nitrate emulsion. This was taken in the Arctic Circle. Notice the horizons clearly visible, and in the middle distance there's a hut with a snow-covered roof. The man in the foreground seems bathed in light and there's a fountain of glowing particles streaming to his upraised hand. Oh, uh, that light, is it going up or coming down? It's coming down, but it isn't light. It's dust. Oh, but, but, but how... Uh... It registered as light. As you see, the man is perfectly visible. Now, I'd like you to look at the shape to his left. It's a child. Is... This a child without its demon, uh, one of those dreadful severed beings? 
No, an entire child. The demon is to our left and has taken the form of an arctic fox. So the child doesn't attract us? Evidently not. Now I'd like to show you another picture. Is that the... Uh... Aurora Borealis, yes. It's uh, one of the best photographs of the phenomenon I've ever seen. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> now, look at a picture taken with a special emulsion I've developed. If he forces a vote, Dean, we'll invoke the residence clause. Oh. He hasn't been resident in the college for 30 weeks out of the last 52. And when he is here, he's a damned nuisance. Oh, good gracious, sir. That looks like a city suspended in the air. There is indeed a city in another world. In fact, in a parallel universe. It has never been photographed before. A city in another world? Was uh, Dr. Gruen investigating this too? Yes, but he won't be able to tell you about it because he's dead. Oh. I have the proof here. Lord Azrael opens one of the wooden boxes the butler carried up from the lodge. He carefully parts the straw, then he lifts a heavy glass jar from it. The momentum causes the severed head inside to turn within its green-preserving liquid, as though slowly staring down at the assembled and horrified scholars. Grumman's expedition vanished 18 months ago. It's been assumed that he met with an accident. This was hardly an accident. Lord Azrael, explain. Masters, scholars, this is Stanislaw Grumman. I found his body preserved in the ice off of Svalbard. The head was sculpted by his killers. I think you might be familiar with the method, Dean. I have seen Tartars do this, yes. Yes, um, there is a hole in the top of the skull. Trepanning? Exactly. And you can see how the bone has begun growing back after the procedure. Yes. So the trepanning itself didn't kill him. Oh. And you say you found his body near Svalbard? That's right. The snow around him was crimson. His was not a quiet, natural death. Yes. Are we to understand that the, the Panzerbjorn, the armoured bears, had anything to do with this? Oh, no, no. They'd never behave in this manner, Master. We don't know too much about Jofa Rakdesen, the new bear king of Svalbard, except he's a powerful and vicious figure with ludicrous affectations. <laughs> I'm sure most of the company present had heard about his palace built from imported marble <laughs> and that he's setting up what he loosely terms a university. <laughs> a university for armoured bears? Yes, he tried, unsuccessfully, I might add, recruiting scholars from Jordan College. Headhunting <laughs> Uh, he didn't contact me. Yovarakdason <laughs> <laughs> will be capable of doing this to Grumman, but at the same time, he could be flattered into behaving quite differently. What he wants, above all else, is a demon. Lyra, overcome with gory sights and academic detail, does what all children do when told too much and made too comfortable. She falls asleep. A dreamless hour passes. The scholars leave. Lyra, wake up, girl. Mom, I had everything. I had a really strange dream. Quiet. There are still some servants around. Uncle Azriel, what's dust? Nothing to do with you. In my dream, it was...
was snowing and... Can I see the man's head? Don't be disgusting. Did you watch the master? Yeah. He looked for the wine before he did anything else. And he was whispering to the dean, going on about how he must have guessed the wine was poisoned and how they didn't want to give you any money. Did they give it to you? Yes. Now, get to bed and say nothing. I'm not tired. And I want to stay and talk to you. I haven't got time. I've got things to organise. I'm leaving in ten minutes. Where are you going? Back to the north. I want to come with you and see dust and stuff. And that city in the air. Is it another world? I really don't have time for you, Lyra. Go to bed. I'll be back to see you in a year's time. Lyra, I could tell you my dream. It Shut was... up, Pan. really think he knew about the wine? Yes. He spilled the decanter himself. I was never happy about the idea of... Poisoning him? Of murder. Well, Providence has intervened. I'm only sorry I burdened you with the knowledge of it, but I consulted the alethiometer and it warns of appalling consequences if Lord Asriel pursues his research. And we voted to give him the funds to continue. Apart from anything else, the child will be drawn in now whether I want to protect her or not. But how do you know that? The alethiometer again? Yes. Lyra has a major part to play. The irony is that she must act without realising what she's doing. She can be helped, though. And if my plan with the Tokai had succeeded, she would have been safe for a little while longer. Part of her experience will include a great betrayal. Who's going to betray her? She will be the betrayer. And the experience will be terrible. It seems strange to think that our fate will be decided by the actions of a little girl. That's the problem, Dean. She won't be a little girl for much longer. Roger, let's go down to the cellars. I've got the butler's spare set of keys. How'd you get those? Lifted him off the hook when his back was turned. Come on. And it's not Oz. So? This is the dustiest and twistiest. Wonder what's in it? You ain't got anything to open it with. Watch me. You'll cut your mouth, Lyra. Look at Pantalimon. He don't like what you're up to. I don't. And neither does Salsilia. You'd better not try it, Roger. Pity, because it's delicious. Oh, go on, Roger. It won't bite you. Don't just do what Lyra says. I'm not. You're too easily led. What do you think? It's okay, but I'd rather have cocoa. Will we know when we're drunk? Dunno. Most scholars seem a bit surprised when they try to stand up at the end of dinner. Hey, look at Pan and Cecilia. They're like the things on top of the chapel. What's it? Yeah, gargles. <laughs> never seen demons do that before. Well, we've never drunk this stuff before, so it's all new, isn't it? Oh, I feel sick. Oh. Do the scholars, do they... Is it like something they enjoy? Yeah. Pan and me sometimes go down and watch him falling over. Master usually chases us off. He never gets drunk him. You're making that up about the scholars. I'm not. Let's go to the crypt. Clue, it smells a bit. It's bound to. It's full of dead people. All the previous masters were buried here. Look, this one's Simon Leclerc, Master 1765... To 1789, Kerry Barton, 
Requiescant on Parche. What's that mean? That's his name, then his demons, and then some Roman stuff. These coffins have got skeletons in them. Must be ghosts down here. Lyra, what are you doing? I just want to have a look at his skull. Oh, don't touch it. Don't pick it up. Oh, something's fallen out. Can you see what it is? It's a coin. Treasure. Let me have a look. There's a picture on it of a pig. That'd be his demon. Put it back. Who do you think this lot were, the ones that are just skulls? Scholars. The head's the most important part of them. Put the coin back. Lyra reluctantly posts the coin back through Simon Leclerc's left eye socket, as other children in other worlds might drop their pocket money into the back of a ceramic pig. The regular Oxford market is held every Tuesday and Friday on the broad common by the canal. Children dodge between stalls, Egyptians trade horses, local people haggle. Tony Macarius, a small, lean, scabby boy of nine with the face of an old man, in desperate need of food, spots a pie just begging to be stolen. He turns to his demon, Ratta. Got to get something to eat, Ratta. Can you turn into a sparrow and flat the stall holder's face? Yeah, mind is hot. Look at the steam coming off it. Don't mind hot, just got to get something to eat. Right! Lyra and Roger watch Tony Macarius run, but they quickly lose interest. They want to find their friend, Billy Costa. Lyra spotted his family's boat moored on the canal close by. Look, Roger, there's Mark Costa. Mark Costa is Billy Costa's mother. She's strong and tall and powerful, and Lyra's a little afraid of her, as are all the children. But today, Lyra sees an expression on her face that she's never seen before. Mark Costa looks very, very scared. Well, what have you done with him, you half-assed pillock? Where's my son, Billy? I don't know. I never saw where he went. I'm not his mother. He was holding your bloody horses. He should have stayed put then. You gypsies want to take better care of your brats. You piece of dung. What's she so angry about? Sounds like Billy's run off. At the same moment, Tony Macarius runs down a gloomy alleyway. He squats down and eats too hungry to bother about an immaculately dressed woman walking towards him from the rectangle of light where the alley opens out onto the main road. He just wants to eat. He accepts the woman's presence and that of her golden monkey demon. Hello. What's your name? Tony. Where'd you live, Tony? Clarice Walk. What's in that pie? Beef steak. Mmm, smells delicious. I bet you like cocoa too. Would you like some? Now come along. There are other children waiting. You'll be able to make some new friends. Tony is led to a part of Oxford he has never visited, despite it being close to the market. Ten silent children turn to stare at him. Ten agitated demons transform themselves into a bestiary as he descends the steps of a cellar. Here, sit on this bench. You can have some cocoa when you've finished your pie here for? You're going to be very special children indeed. Back in the marketplace, a distraught Mark Costa approaches Lyra and Roger. You're Billy's friends. Have you seen him? I ain't seen Billy for months. I just come looking for him now. Billy? Billy! Bet the gobblers have got him. Of course they haven't. Billy's always up to stuff. They've been stealing kids all over the country. You don't know that. There's a kid missing from the back of Jordan College too. Who? Jessie Reynolds, out the saddlers. She'd only gone out for a bit of fish for her dad's tea. I searched everywhere. She might have turned up by now. 
Before we get back, I just want to have a look at the music boxes. All right. Huddled in the cellar are a group of increasingly frightened children, each having succumbed to the kind words and loveliness of the woman with the golden monkey demon, each having been persuaded to go with her despite all the warnings against trusting strangers. Each child shivers on the point of tears, but the doorway is barred and guarded. Children, listen. You're all going on a voyage. You'll be well-fed and warmly clothed, and those who want to can send messages back to their families. I can't write. Well, that's a pity. Are you a gobbler? Yes, I am. And I'm not the least bit frightening, am I? And here's someone else come to help me. Hello. Come over here and talk to Taylor. What's your name? Roger Parslow. But I've got to get back. That man asked me if he'd like some cocoa, that's all. What could be more important than helping me, Roger? 80 pasties. I've got to help make 80 pasties back at Jordan College. Or my aunt will kill me. Come on, Pan. We'd better get back. Where's Roger got to? He was over by the music box store. What's the time? Half past five. Well, that's why he's gone back. He's supposed to help out in the kitchen from six. We could check to make sure. Yeah, but he'll be there. He gets a good wallop if he's late. No, he should be. There's 80 pasties to make. But where is he? Oh, he'll be somewhere. They've got him. The bloody goblet. Don't be silly, Lyra. And mind your language. Roger's sensible. You don't care. Or you go and look for him right now. I hate you. Oh, I've lost count of the number of times you've hated me for this and that, Lyra. Look, there could be a dozen reasons why Roger ain't turned up. Yeah, and don't you go running off. I want you back in your room for a wash. Right, there you are, girl. Now, come on, take off this filthy dress. Look at the state of your wardrobe. You ain't hung nothing up for weeks. Right. Here's frock we'll have to do. You've got flour on your face. And you've got dried mud. Come on, lift your arms. Let's put it on. I don't want to. I want to look for Roger. Wash. You get all that dirt off your legs. You don't care about Roger neither. I'm the only one that does. Ow! Don't you chide me, girl. I care about the boy. God knows I even care about you. Anyway, why am I having to wash? Like I said, you're going to have dinner with the master and his guest. I hope to God you behave. I was told to come. Ah, yes, Lyra. Come and sit over here. Oh, Pantaliman looks very sleek. He's an urban, isn't he? Uh, Mrs Coulter... This is our Lyra. Hello, Lyra. Your demon's beautiful. I've never seen a golden monkey before. He's called Ozymandias. Mine's called Pantalimon. Are you a scholar? Not really. You don't look like one. I mean... I don't, do I? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs Coulter tells a good tale, and Lyra is very quickly bewitched by her. The golden monkey demon Ozymandias turns his black eyes on the girl watching her fall under Mrs. Coulter's irresistible charm. And does your uncle, Lord Asriel, have any plans for you? He's going to take me to the north next time he goes. Oh, yes, I remember him telling me. Are you an explorer too? In a way. Last year I spent three months in Greenland making observations of the aurora. Oh, I'd love to do that. <laughs> and I learned to make igloos, to hunt seals and uh, negotiate with the Lapland witches, drive a sled... Pull the master of Jordan College looks on with increasing dismay as Mrs Coulter works her way into the child's imagination. He even forgets to eat. 
as raven demon Leonor bobs and dips and ruffles. So, Lyra, would you like to come and live with me? <laughs> we might have to travel to the north in a month or so. Oh, yes. And you really take me with you? <laughs> <coughs> Certainly. Then, when you return to Jordan College, you'll be a famous traveller. So, what do you say? Oh, yes, yes, please. You're sure about this, Lyra? It's everything I've ever wanted to do, to go exploring in that. Well, Master, there's your answer. Under the circumstances, I could hardly have expected anything else. Now, we're going to leave for London by the Dawn Zeppelin. So, go straight to bed. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Coulter. Come and give me a hug, then. <laughs> Come on, Pan. Oh, good night, Master. Good night, Lyra. Lyra! Lyra, wake up, child! Mm, what is it? The Master wants to see you. Get up quickly and run across the lodging. Now tap on the French windows. You understand? Don't let anyone else see you. Yes, but... Go straight down and come straight back. Hurry now! Aren't I going? Yes. I can't prevent it. Lyra, I'm going to give you something, and you must promise to keep it private. The master carefully removes a heavy yellow-gold instrument from a worn velvet bag. At first glance, it looks as if it might tell you the time or the direction, but it won't. There's a flat dial, the edge is decorated with symbols, three hands flicker across the face, two are the same length, one is a little longer. The back is slightly convex, and the whole thing fits comfortably into the master's palm. What is that? It's beautiful. An alethiometer. It's one of only six that were ever made. Lyra, show no one. It would be better if Mrs Coulter didn't know. And you must try to learn to use it, because your Uncle Azrael... But what does it do? It tells you the truth. Come on, Lyra. They're waiting. Go well, Lyra. Bless you, child. Bless you. What's that you've got? Masticated me. Can it go in the suitcase? No, too late. It'll have to go in your coat pocket. Now, hurry, get on board. Goodbye. Please say goodbye to everyone for me. And Roger, tell Roger to write. I will, as soon as he turns up. Now, go on. Goodbye. I'll come back. Pam, now I'm scared. So am I. The copulars really did get Roger, didn't they? Three weeks after their arrival, Lyra and Pantalaimon are still astonished by the opulence of Mrs. Coulter's London flat. It's warm and airy with sumptuous furnishings. Lyra has a wardrobe of new dresses, and her hair has been cut and styled and now frames her face, making her seem older. She hardly recognizes herself when she looks in the mirror, and Pan has only managed to change into an array of pampered cats and snuffling lapdogs until today. Pan, never entirely convinced of the golden monkey demon's apparent friendliness, has just fought with him over the bag containing Lyra's lithiometer. You saw what he was up to, Lyra. Why didn't you stop him? He was playing. He wasn't. I'd have felt it if he meant to hurt you. Anyway, you pulled his ear. Mrs. Coulter flinched. That's why they've gone out. Pan, why are you copying Mrs. Coulter's demon if you don't like him? I'm just seeing what it's like to be a golden monkey. He goes about, oh, look at me, I'm fantastic, showing off and that. He doesn't. Anyway, he is very handsome. He was trying to get the Aleph thingy. Alethiometer? I bet he wasn't. He doesn't know I've got it. He does, and she wants it. Why are you wearing lipstick? Mrs. Coulter left her makeup bag out for me to try. It's okay on her, but it looks stupid on you. 
like you've been eating jam. It doesn't. Would you like some on? No. Yes, come here. There's some nice sloppy eyeshadow in this tube. Get off! Ugh, ugh. It tastes horrible. Well, you're not supposed to eat it. You squeezed it right in my mouth. I did not. I did. Remember that brilliant water fight we had with Roger and Salsilia? Yeah. I wonder what's happened to Roger. And no one's written from Jordan, have they? Where is that alethiometer thing? I hid it in your new shoulder bag. Why don't we see what it does while she's out? Right, let's try and work it out. There are three little winding wheels. They circle the dial. Pan, listen. When I turn them, can you hear those clicks? Look, when I try to make the hands point at the pictures, they won't stay put. Did you see that? And this big hand's bobbing about all over the place. What do you think that one's for? I'll make myself into a mouse to get closer and have a better look. No, it still isn't obvious. There's no small lettering or anything. Perhaps we've got to give it to Uncle Azrael. It isn't anything we can use, is it? The master said we had to try and work it out. Hide it. I didn't hear her come back. Did you? No. She sneaked in on purpose. She's trying to catch us out. Have you a little time to spare me, Lyra, now Pan has calmed down? Yes. Sorry about that, Mrs Corsa. That's all right. Cooped up in here with nothing to do, it's bound to happen. That's why I've been thinking. I imagine your education has been a little bit haphazard up to now. I want to arrange for you to have some private tuition before I make any decisions about your future schooling. Why don't you tell me what the scholars taught you? I know about elementary particles and bits and pieces of experimental theology. Have you learned about the solar system? What's that? The Earth and five other planets revolve around the sun. Then why don't they bang into each other? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about electrons? Oh, yes. They're negatively charged particles, sort of like dust. Except the dust isn't charged. <laughs> Quiet, Ozymandias. What do you know about dust, Lyra? It doesn't affect children. Where did you learn that? One of the scholars said. Was it part of your lessons? This scholar from New Denmark was talking to the chaplain. I was passing and stopped to listen. That's how I learn most things. Did I get it wrong? Well, I'm sure you know much more than I do. Please excuse me, Lyra. I've just remembered another appointment. <laughs> Yeah. She grabbed his neck. I thought he was going to attack. But why? It doesn't make any sense. People were talking about dust at Jordan. She's obviously not telling you everything. I don't think she has any intention of taking us anywhere except on shopping expeditions. But she's bought loads of tents and supplies. That's just to shut you up. And this evening, Mrs Coulter is holding yet another cocktail party. Why, Lyra, you look lovely. Like a little piece of cherry blossom. Do I? You're a very pretty girl. Now, come on. I need your help finishing off the table decorations. Lyra, she's making a pet of you. But at least I managed to get a bag to keep the alethiometer in. Lyra, the shoulder bag looks absurd with that dress. I think it really suits you. You haven't developed any taste yet. Until you do, I'll tell you what suits and what doesn't. Now, put that bag away in your bedroom. But, like, shouldn't it be left up to me to choose? So I learn. Don't cross me, child. Do not cross me. Take that bag into your bedroom and bring back the little cruel work clutch bag. It's too small for all my stuff. Don't! Please, stop hurting us! It's only a bloody bag. Demons usually fight each other to resolve an argument or dispute. But it's unusual for an adult's demon to tussle with a child's. You will not use bad language, and you will do exactly as I tell you. Ow! Yes, I promise. 
The first guest will be arriving in a few minutes and they're going to find you perfectly behaved and without that shoulder bag. Do you understand? Yes, Miss Coulter. Then kiss me. Now I'd better go and see if the caterers have fetched enough ice. Warm drinks are horrid. <laughs> You're horrid too. I hate that golden monkey. I hate her. I hate them both. You'd better hide the alethiometer in your bedroom. Put it somewhere you've not hidden it before. You were right, Pan. She's never going to take us anywhere. And I'll be trapped wearing these stupid dresses forever and ever. Roger would laugh his head off. The guests arrive. A mixture of scholars of the more fashionable subjects. The young aristocracy and politicians with their stars in the ascendancy. They ignore Lyra, which gives her the freedom to wander among them and listen in. I suppose they have to experiment on children. Otherwise, how would they find out? Gobblers. That's from the initials General Oblation Board. In the Middle Ages, parents gave their children to the church to be monks or nuns. These unfortunates were known as oblates, meaning a sacrifice or offering. Mrs. Coulter has revived the practice. If children can be kept innocent and in a state of grace... Naturally, there have been casualties. Some of the children haven't survived. Well, I suppose that's an inevitable consequence of pioneering Mrs. Research. Coulter brought back one of the severed demons. It had gone sort of clear. You could see right through it. It looked like a little chunk of stained glass. I've just seen Mrs. Coulter's demon coming out of our bedroom. He's found the alethiometer. No, he can't have. What are we going to do? Well, we know Mrs. Coulter's involved with the gobblers. The alethiometer might be something she could use, you know, to catch more children. Did you hear Lord Azrael's captured? Held in the fortress at Falbar and guarded by the Pansipion. <laughs> Armoured bears. Have you ever seen one? He won't escape. The last experiments have confirmed that dust is an emanation from the dark principle itself. It's pure evil. I think all of us would agree that loss of innocence is the worst thing that happened to us. Are children innocent? I mean... That little girl, Lyra, is it? She'll be safe. What with Mrs. Coulter overseeing the experiment at Bulbanga? Of course, the ablation board is Mrs. Coulter's dark side. She's queen of the darkness. Pam! Mrs. Coulter, she's... Yeah, that's why we've not felt right. She's a monster. We've got to escape and tell people. Now we know who she is, they'll be able to stop her. Where do you think she keeps the children? I don't know. Not in the flat, anyway. Let's get out, then we can look for them. Lyra packs the shoulder bag with a few clothes, taking a moment to push a lipstick into the soil of the window box, pulling a wry face as it disappears. She pulls off the hideous pink dress, throws it in a corner and puts on the clothes she arrived in from Jordan College. Right, let's go. There's nobody in the hallway. Come on. What are we going to do? And why are we going to sleep, Pan? A doorway? No, we don't want to be seen. I think the canal's down there. Right, let's go down the steps. We can sleep under the bridge. It looks deserted. Two men suddenly appear out of nowhere and throw a smelly, lead-weighted net over them, knocking them to the ground. Pan! Pan, help us! Somebody please help us! Then an arrow strikes one of the men in the throat. He drops with a cry. The second man falls with an arrow through his side. Both men seem to fall so slowly that Lyra expects them to zigzag weightlessly in the air. Lyra and Pan are locked tight against each other, stricken with fear. The men's demons fade. Lyra? It's me, Joey Costa. Used to play with my little brother, Billy. Joey? That's right. Come on, let's get you out of this. Oh, we're safe. Pan, we're safe. You're a long way from Oxford, girl. What are you doing here? Me and Pan, we've been living in London. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, you're free. You alone? Yeah, we thought... Don't talk now. Jackster, move them bodies into the shadow. Karim, look around. Right, Lyra, come on. Follow me. Joey guides Lyra and Pantalima to the Costa's canal boat. That's never Lyra. Costa. Ma, we got to move. We killed two men. They caught Lyra. Kerem's undone the mooring and Jackster's up top. He'll steer. Lyra, come here, child. You look wore out. What's this on your face? You got makeup on? She made me wear it. Who's done that to you, gal? This woman, Mrs. Coulter. I ended up staying with her. You can have Billy's crib as soon as I got a hot drink in you. Set you down there, child. Where are we going? Away from here. We'll talk in the morning. The boat slips quietly along the canal and out of London as Lyra and Pan sleep in Billy's little bed. They wake to the smell of toast, freshly brewed tea and scrambled eggs. Where are we? On the Grand Junction Canal. You keep out of sight, child. There's trouble. What sort of trouble? Nothing we can't cope with. Morning, Lyra, Pan. So what were you doing in London? I was living with Mrs Coulter. And then last night, I found out she was a gobbler. In fact, she's their leader. You mean she's in charge of the child abductions? Yeah. She came to Jordan College. She asked me to come and live with her. Well, what did the Master of Jordan say? He wasn't keen. I don't think he likes her. Though he couldn't say so. Anyway, I don't like her. How can I when she's the gobbler? I dare say there's more of this than we can guess at for the moment. I'll tell you what we know. Children are taken north and they do experiments on them. First we thought they tried out different diseases and medicines, only they don't. Anyhow, the north's altogether strange. It's filled with spirits. You ever heard of the Nalkinans? No. They're the ghosts of the forests. Same size as a child and they got no heads. And windsuckers too. Dangerous. Some people know them as spectres. You come across clumps of them floated together or snagged in bramble. One touch and the strength goes out of you, you forget who you are. Then there's the breathless ones. It doesn't sound as if there's room enough for normal people. <laughs> I have to admit, it's a bit of a crush. Then there's warriors half killed that can't die, can't live. They wander about forever. The North Tartars snap open their ribs, pull out their lungs. Their lungs can't work without their demons pumping them by hand. You come across old platoons. It's horrible. Well, there's more. There's the Pantsibjorn. That means armoured bears, like a kind of polar bear. Oh, yeah, my uncle Asriel is imprisoned in a fortress guarded by armoured bears. Is he? Yeah, they captured him. I don't know why. Well, what's he doing there again? I thought he'd just come back. Yeah, then Jordan gave him some more money, so he went exploring again. Then he was imprisoned. Well, he won't get out. Those bears are mercenaries. They got hands like men, and they learnt the trick of working meteoric iron. Vicious killers, too. They keep their word if you make a bargain with them. You filling her head with stories, Joey? Uh, some of it's true, Ma. <laughs> I bet you didn't tell her which bits, though. <laughs> Where are we now? The fence. The Egyptian people have been at worse than most by these gobblers. We're coming to a big meeting of our clans called the Roping. We'll send a rescue party. At least that's what I'd do if I was John Far. Who's John Far? The king of the Egyptians. Will they rescue Roger? Or is it only Egyptian kids? Who's Roger? My friend, if I was took, he'd come and rescue me. Lyra looks out at the grey-blue marshes and the blue-grey sky. Set back into the flat plain is a large wooden barn. People throng through its wide door. Lanterns light the way and in the moist air, their light seems to drift in speckles, like pollen blown from a flower. Lyra, we're water people. And you ain't. You're most like a marsh fire. You got witch oil in your soul. Deceptive, that's what you are, child. Deceptive? 
I'm paying you a compliment, you goslin. Oh, right, um, thanks. <laughs> we got here just in time. Come on then, girl. Put on Billy's oilskins, Lyra, and keep close to Joey. Joey, what's this place again? The barn's called a Zarl. See? If you look along the side, it's like an upended boat. Oh, yeah. They'll be starting in a moment now. It's packed. A ripple of excitement goes through the crowd as John Farr takes the platform. His demon's a great crow. Egyptians! Egyptians! Welcome to the muster. I'm glad to see the Zars filled and that we're all met with one purpose. First, let me clear up the matter about a particular child. The child's name is Lyra Belacqua. She's been sought by the Landlover police. There is a reward of 1,000 sovereigns. She's in our care. We ain't giving her up. Now, let's talk about the gobblers. These gobblers are taking our children to a town in the far north. And I'm proposing that we send a band of fighters to rescue them. I'm proposing that we put our gold into this and all the craft and courage that we can muster. Beg pardon, Lord Far. There's landlopper kids as well as Egyptians been taken captive. Are you saying we should rescue them as well? Should we fight our way through every kind of danger to a little group of frightened children and then say to some of them that they must stay? No, Bertie Pierce. You're a better man than that. Well, do I have your approval, friends? Aye. If we handed in the child, Lyra Balakwa, we'd have enough money to rescue our kids. It is a matter of honour and conscience. I would not care to use money gained by the handing over of a child against her wishes. And there have been many times when we have had prices on our heads. And we've been grateful for those who chose to forego the money, despite their great need, so that we could keep our freedom. Yeah, yeah. I want the heads of families to raise tax and muster levy. We'll meet again here in three days' time. Between now and then, I'm going to form a plan to put before you. Now, good night to you all. Come on. I'd best take you to pay your respects to Lord Farm Father Coram. Who's Father Coram? The old man by his side. Why is he shaking? He's old. Now, girl, whatever you're asked, tell the truth. Welcome, Lyra. Yeah, welcome, child. I am Father Coram. Thank you. Now, come in the parlour room. So who was the lady you ran away from? Mrs. Coulter. She's like, well, somebody said she was like the Queen Gobbler. But I don't reckon my Uncle Azrael's got anything to do with them. Why do you think that? The gobblers have got him locked up, guarded by armor bears, because he knows about dust. This dust. Did they ever call it anything else? Well, Mrs. Coulter said it was elementary particles, and there was the Aurora. The what? Aurora. Is that right, Lyra? Uh, yeah. And in the lights of the Aurora, there was a city. My Uncle Azrael was more interested in that. Now, Lyra, Father Coram is a wise man, a seer. He's been following all what's been going on, and he's been following you. Every time the Costas went to Oxford, they brought back a bit of news. About me? That's right. We knew you from when you were a baby. Did you? And did the Master of Jordan College tell you who your parents were and what happened to them? Yeah, they died in a Zeppelin accident. Egyptian woman told us the true story. Your father is Lord Ashriel. No, he can't be. He would have told me. He would have said, uh, that's not true. Now, when he was a young man, Lord Azrael went exploring all over the north and came back with a great fortune. Your mother was not so well born as him, but clever, a scholar, and beautiful. 
She and your father fell in love. Your mother was already married to a politician. He was doing well for himself. Your mother found herself with child. When you were born, you were the spit of Lord Asriel. She thought it best to give out that you died. And she took you to Oxfordshire, where your father had estates and put you in the care of Egyptian woman. But someone whispered to your mother's husband, and he came a-flying down in a murderous passion. Your father was out hunting, but they got word to him, and he came riding back in time to find your mother's husband about to force open the closet where the Egyptian woman was hiding you. But Lord Asriel challenged and killed him. Lord Asriel? He hardly visited me at Jordan or anything. In the end, the judges confiscated Lord Asriel's property and land, and he had been richer than a king. The Egyptian nurse said she'd been feared of how your mother would treat you, so she begged to keep you. But we Egyptians got a little standing in the law, and the court placed you in a priory. St. Michael and all saints in Babacom. Lord Asriel had a hatred of nuns and monks. And being a high-handed man, he carried you off to Jordan College. Dead the Lord who undo The it. one condition he made was that your mother shouldn't be let see you. All the anger in his nature had turned against her. Lyra, the man your mother married, and whom your father killed, was Edward Coulter. Mrs. Coulter? She ain't my mother. That's even worse. You look like her. You look just like her. That was why she was getting you all dressed up. But what the Master of Jordan was a-doing, letting you go, is a mystery. He was supposed to protect you. He didn't want to. And he gave me something I had to keep a secret from Mrs. Coulter. I think I'm supposed to take it to Lord Asriel. I suppose it's all right to show you. I never thought I'd set eyes on an alethiometry. Did he tell you about it, child? Only that I'd have to work out how to read it by myself. And have you? No. Well, at least I can make the three short hands point as different pictures. But I can't do anything with the long one. Except sometimes when I'm concentrating. I can make the long needle move by thinking about it. What's it to do, Father Coram? It's a truth, Reedy. The pictures round the rim are symbols, each standing for a whole series of things. Take the anchor there. The first meaning is hope, because hope holds you fast like an anchor. The second meaning is steadfastness. The third is snag or prevention. The fourth meaning is the sea, and so on, down to ten, twelve or more. To read it fully, I'd need the book. Go on. You get three hands you can control, and you use them to ask a question. By pointing to three symbols, you can ask any question you can imagine. Once you've got your question framed, the other needle swings round and points to more symbols that give you the answer. How's it know what level you're thinking? It only works when the questioner holds the levels in their mind. And you kept it secret from Mrs. Coulter? I tried, but her demon found it. I see. Well, Lyra, this is my guess. The master was keeping you safe from your mother. So if he gave you up to Mrs. Coulter, he must have reckoned you'd be safer with her than at Jordan College. He must have thought Lord Asriel would endanger everyone. So, am I supposed to keep the lithiometer? Ah, perhaps Lord Asriel could read some wisdom from the instrument, and all back from his purpose. And if he's ill captive now, it might help set him free. Who is the Egyptian woman who nursed me? You didn't say. Marcosta. Marcosta? Why do people never say anything? Is there other things I ought to know? <laughs> I think that's all, Lyra. But it's enough, eh? Now you best get back to Marcosta. When three days is gone, we'll have another roping. Three days pass quickly as the Egyptian families raise levies. 
their sense of dread and foreboding mirrored by the fen mist that coils against the lanterns and glides across the marshes. On the evening of the third day, the Egyptians return to the Zal carrying hempen sacks filled with gold coins. That's a master of 170 men. I thank you proudly. As for the gold, the weight tells me that you've all dug deep in your coffers. My one thanks for that as well. We're going to charter a ship and sail north. Find the children and set them free. Now there might be some fighting to do, and we shall have to be uncommon cunning. But we ain't coming back without our kids. Nicholas Rogby! Yes, Lord Farr? I'm putting you in charge of finding a vessel and commanding her once we set sail. Free are, sir. Adam Stefanski. Yes, Lord Farr. I want you to take charge of the arms and munitions. Roger Van Poppel. Yes, Lord Farr. Stores. From food to cold weather clothing. Simon Hartman. Yes, Lord Farr. You'll be treasurer and account to us all for proper apportionment of our gold. Benjamin de Reuter. Here, Lord Farr. I want you to take charge of spying and you'll report to Father Corum. Michael Canzoner. Here. You can coordinate the four leaders' work and you'll report to me. If I die, you'll take over. Now, is there anyone else who wants to speak? Speak, if you will. John Farr strikes the closing bell, and the heads of the six families and Father Corum retire to the parley room. Lord Farr, I want to come north. I know what parts of a bed you can eat and other things. No, you're right. I don't even believe Mrs Coulter was going to take you. Now, if you go. You can see the north when all this trouble's over. We will go, Lyra. We have to. Especially now we know who our parents really are. Well, stow away, Pan. You can't tell me all that and then just leave me behind. Let's try Father Corum. Maybe we can persuade him we could be useful. Father Corum? Yes, Lyra. I think it's best if I help you. I know more about the goblins than anyone, being as I was nearly one of them. You're probably right, Lyra. Come on, let's you and me have a parley. Let's go and sit in the bank, away from all the fuss. Should we have another look at the alethiometer? All right. Can you read the symbols? I'm not sure. What's the hourglass mean, Father Corum? It keeps coming back to that one. There's often a clue if you look at the symbol on top of it. It's a skull. So what do you think that might mean? Well, death. And that's right. It's the second meaning, the first being time. And the needle stopped there on the second go-round. What are you asking it, Lyra? I was thinking about Mr. De Reuter, and I put together the serpent, the crucible, and the beehive to ask how he's getting on with his spying. Why them particular symbols? Well, the serpent is, like, clever and cunning. The crucible could mean knowledge, and the beehive, well, bees work hard to fetch back to their hive. Only the needle stopped at death. Hmm, we may not be reading it right. It's Fodicorum. a bit worrying, though, isn't it? Fodicorum! I beg pardon, Fodicorum. Jacob Isman's come back and he's wounded. He's with Benjamin De Reuter. What happened? You better come. Corum. What happened, Jacob? Benjamin's dead and Gerard's captured. We was breaking into the Ministry of Theology because that's where all the orders was coming from for the child snatchers. Rest. Let your fox demon speak. They didn't know where the kids were taken, except it was North Lapland. We went to the ministry at Whitehall and got in by a side door. And the place was dark and full of sounds. And Benjamin fell from a high staircase. His demon had fluttered to hold him up, but they perished on the stone floor. Oh, oh we could see nothing of Gerard. Then an arrow pierced us. Oh. 
command. Joey, see that his family are looked after. Larry, we must go and see John Farr at the Zal straight away. So you can read the Alethiometer, Lyra. Well, I think we're going to have to take you with us after all, against my inclinations. Oh, yes, thank you. Lyra, it ain't an occasion for joy. I'm putting you under Father Coram's wing. Don't be a nuisance. Now go and pack. Pantalaimon is now a turn, wheeling and cutting a few feet above Lyra's head as they travel towards the sea on Mar Costa's boat. Father Coram travels with them and remains watchful. Where are we? The estuary of the River Cole. I don't suppose it'll matter just for a few minutes if you stay on deck. Pan's certainly enjoying himself. And out of the sky come two small, dark, frantic, malevolent blots which hurl themselves at Pan. They huff and buzz, belting through the air around his head, scarring him with their wire limbs. Father Corrin, help us! What is it, child? Pan's been attacked. I caught one of them. Please, can you get it? It's hurting my hand. There was another. It flew off. It stung and it bit. Hold still. Here, put a mug over it. Now, if I slip a bit of card under it, Yes, got it. What is it, Father Let's go below and have a look. You all right, Lyra? I suppose so. What is it, Father Coram? There's clockwork running it, and pinned to the spring is a bad spirit with a spell through its heart. But who sent it? You can guess as easy as I can. Mrs Coulter. It won't never stop. And when you let the spirit free, it's so angry... It'll kill the first thing it gets at. <gasps> but what was it after? Spying on us. I was a cursed fool to let you up above. The girl needed air. Can we kill it? No. We shall just have to keep him shut up tight in a box and never let him out. What worries me is the other one. He'll be flying back to Mrs. Coulter with news that he's seen you. Damn me, Lyra. I'm a fool. See if I can find a smoke-leaf tin to keep him in. As soon as we get about the ship, I'll run some solder around the edge to make sure of it. Get in there. Does the clockwork run down? This one's kept tight wound by fury. Now let's put this fella out of the way. Lyra pulls on Billy Costa's oilskins hooding her distinctive dark gold hair in case the spy fly is waiting to catch her again. Pan slips into her pocket momentarily as a flapping fish, and he hops to her shoulder as a black-headed gull. They follow Farukoram up the gangplank, pausing to wave to Marcosta. Lyra stares up at the first fully rigged ship she has ever seen. She goes solemnly below deck with Pan as a calico cat. Farukoram, we lost more of our spies. We have bad news, too. There are two of these clockwork devils sent us spying. They found Lyra. They only caught the one. I've heard of these, but never seen one. No use dropping it in the ocean, because one day the tin had rust through and out the devil will come. No, we'll have to keep it by and exercise our vigilance. Oh, the ship's shaking. Where are we going? Well, I've decided to make for Trollizand, the main port of Lapland. The witches have a consulate there. And we need their help. Father Coram knows the Lapland witches, and if I'm um, not mistaken, there's a 
obligation there. It was 40 years back, but it's nothing to a witch. You saved a witch's life, Lyra. I did. She was pursued by a great red bird, and she fell injured in the marsh and was drowning. I got her on board. Had the most grim shock, because she had no demon. The witches have the power to send their demons on the wind or down below the ocean. And this witch hadn't been resting above an hour when a demon came flying back. She said I was to call on her help if ever it was needed. Does she live in Trollizond? No, she lives by a lake, not in a seaport among men and women. I'm hoping to get word to her. Lyra, go above deck and explore. That other spy fly won't be waiting. No, it will have gone back to Mrs. Coltier. Here, take an apple from supplies. Thank you. Hello. Oh, hello. I see your demons enjoying being a seabird. Yeah. Mine's a seagull. You see her there on the capstan with her head tucked into a wing. That's my Belisaria. When I first went to sea, she hadn't settled on a form, I was that young. And she loved being a porpoise. I was afraid she'd settle like that. There was an old sailorman on my first vessel who could never go ashore at all because his demon had settled as a dolphin. I want Pantalimon to be able to change forever. So does he. Well, there is compensations for the settled form. Such as? Knowing what kind of a person you are. Well, take old Belisaria. She's a seagull. And that means I'm a seagull too. Not grand, nor beautiful, but I'm tough and I can survive anywhere and always find a bit of food and company, and that's worth knowing. Suppose your demon settles in a shape you don't like? Then you're discontented, aren't you? Oh, there's plenty of folks who'd like to have a lion but end up with a poodle. <laughs> you can laugh, but I've seen it. Hey, this girl I knew from school, she ended up with an ostrich. <laughs> After a few days of reasonable weather and moderate seas, with temperature falling and ice starting to cling to the rigging, the ship begins to rock from side to side instead of plunging and soaring. Seals swim alongside. Land nears. Lyra and the Egyptians disembark at Trollizond. At the dock gates, they divide into work parties, some to buy maps of the local terrain, and others, knowledge from the local trappers. Lord Far goes to secure provisions and hire dog teams and sledges, whilst also hoping to pick up local gossip for clues to the children's final destination. Lyra and Fardacorum set off to visit the Witch's Consulate, a small green house, smooth as a sea pebble, set in a quiet square behind a line of fir trees. Fardacorum already knows the consul, Dr. Lansalius. Fardacorum, child, come in. Come in. Dr. Lancelius, this is Lyra Blackwell. Uh -huh. Hello. In their youth, both men were loved by witches. Please, sit down. We were young men when we last met, Father Corum. Our witches are still young women. Human lives are brief by their standards. How can I help you? Well, Dr. Lancelius, I'm anxious to get in touch with Serafina Pecola. She promised help if I should need it. Serafina Pecola is now queen of her witch clan in Lake Anara. I didn't know. Never thought we'd have cause to meet again. I shall send word to her. Ruta Skadi, the mother of my daughters, is queen of her southern clan. 
Have you heard of an organisation capturing children and bringing them north? Yes. They avoid alerting the authorities, but I saw another 12 children arrive recently. They moved out the day before yesterday, travelling north, and seemed well cared for, but not happy. If you were me, what question would you ask the Consul of Witches? (laughs) Where I could obtain the services of an armoured bear to protect my expedition and fight. The bears are all allies of the Oblation Board. Yorick Bjornsson isn't. He earns a living working at the sledge depot. Now, Lyra, I believe you possess an alethiometer. Yes. Here it is, Dr Lansalius. Exquisite. How do you read it? You have to find the right level in the symbols. There's only ever one in focus. But I'm still learning, really. Lyra, behind this house, there are several sprays of cloud pine. Ask the alethiometer which Serafina Peckler used recently for flying... And bring me a sprig. Yeah, I can do that. Serafina was here. Yes, briefly. Could she have known I was coming? It's quite possible. Father Corum, this child has a great destiny that can only be fulfilled in ignorance and not in this world. Without this child, we shall all perish. I know something of the prophecy, but can't say I understand it. This journey, I think it may be the beginning. And I am already frightened for her. Here's the cowpine that Serafina Peckler used for flying. It was obvious. Remarkable, Lyra. Here is a cloudberry twig. Look after it. You are remarkably skilled with the alethiometer. Very gifted indeed. Thank you, Dr. Lansalius. We mustn't keep you from your business any longer. I'm grateful for your advice and sincerely glad we've spoken after so long. Goodbye, Father. Lyra, go well. Father Coram and John Farr buy Lyra a parka made of reindeer skin, the hood lined with wolverine fur because it sheds the ice formed by breath. They buy her underclothes and boot liners of reindeer skin and silk gloves to go inside fur mittens. Her boots are soled with the skin of bearded seals. And finally, there's a waterproof cape made of semi-transparent seal intestine. With a silk muffler around her neck, a woolen cap over her ears, she is comfortably warm. Well, Father Coram, I hired a Texan aeronaut whom I met in the tavern. What's an aeronaut? A balloonist. Oh, right. In the expedition they'd been attached to failed through lack of funds. I can see why he'd want to be hired. But do we need him? Uh, he's flown over the terrain. Knows it well. I've never been up in a balloon. Is it practical in severe weather? Blizzards and the like? Of course. You can travel where dogs and sledges can't. I suppose it'd be the practical matter of filling this balloon. (laughs) He'd hardly hire himself out as an aeronaut if he couldn't. This is true. As for the consul's advice, the bear will be surly, but I suppose we must have him. What of your witch? She's a long way off. I hope my message will reach her. Seems like we struck luckier coming here. Luckier still if we had a clear idea of where we were going. We're going north, Father Coram. There's a lot of north in these parts, John. Now, Lyra, let's you and I visit the bear. I've never seen a polar bear before. His sorts are stranger to both of us, though. Lord Far's fought alongside them. Come on. I'll get back to the ship and pack up in readiness for going north. 
Lyra follows Father Corum to a scrubby area of waste ground pitted with grey rocks. They stop at a lean-to made of corrugated iron. The shadow of a tall, powerful bear falls across them. Yorick Furnison! May I speak to you? Who are you? I'm Father Coram from the Egyptian people of East Anglia. And this little girl is Lyra Balakwa. Lyra Balakwa? Yes. We want to offer you employment. I am employed here. I mend articles of iron. What kind of work is that for a panzer beyond? What work are you offering? We're moving north till we can find a place where the dust hunters have taken children captive. We'll have to fight to get them free. What will you pay? Gold? No, good. These men took my armor away after they gave me spirits to drink. If you want my service, get me back my armor. That will be difficult. Yes. Impossible. Well, we will have to try. Back in their cabin, Pantalaimon turns into a polar bear cub, rearing up and sheathing his claws and loping as best he can across their tiny cabin. Lyra consults the alethiometer and then joins Lord Far and Father Coram for a supper of herring, followed by frozen milk with mixed berries. I've heard this bear's a dangerous rogue. When they first took his armor, he killed two men. I thought it was more of the situation than he told us. We could hardly expect the townsfolk to return it now. Excuse me, Lord Far. Mm. I know where it is. The alethiometer showed me. Did it now. And Yorick Burnison was telling the truth about them, see? Well, that may be. But we must still go and negotiate with the Sizelman and his council. But they're not going to listen. Oh, why has the light changed? Yes, what is it? It's the Aurora Borealis. Really? Yes. Go up and have a look. Northern lights. Northern lights flickering and flackering. Hammer in its left hand. Birch bark in its right. What's it mean, hammer and birch bark? Hammer's the vengeance of angels for disrespect and disbelief. And the birch bark bears their fire to burn up sinners. Hurry up then. Go and see it. Come on, Pan. Let's go. Lyra and Pan, still as a polar bear cub, look up to see a large chasm in the sky. There's a sudden arc of rippled fire that people say is the bridge Bifrost, which carries souls to the next world. Suddenly, there's a city in the sky behind the streams of color with towers and domes, honey-colored temples and sunlit parkland. It resembles the one Lyra saw on Lord Asriel's photograph. I feel dizzy, like I'm looking down, not up. What's that? I think it's a bird. It's massive. Look how big its wings are. Where's Father Coram? Oh, he's a witch's demon. Like the one Father Coram said about. I'm here, Kaiser. Welcome. How is Seraphina Pekele? She's well and strong and sends her greetings. Who are these two people? John Farr and Lyra Balakwa. Lyra Balakwa is talked about among witches. Am I? Have you come to make war, Father Coram? No. We're going to free the children taken from us by the Dust Hunters. I hope the witches will help. Some clans work with the Dust Hunters. What is dust? Does anyone yet know? 
It comes from the sky and strikes fear into the Magisterium. So it must be beyond their full understanding and their immediate control. That's why they have established an experimental station. Where is this station? Four days north of here at Bolvanga. The name means evil place. Kaiser, sir. Can you tell us how to get there, to Bolvanga? Yes. Lyra rises early next morning to find that Father Corum and Lord Far have returned to the town. They're talking with the Sizelman to negotiate over the bear's armor. You seen this bear then, Lyra? Yeah. He's very... Oh, hang on. Who's just coming up the gangplank? Don't know. He's a bit of a dandy. He's even got silver spurs. Addy! Let me introduce myself. Lee Scoresby. Aeronaut, Balloon Supremo, Cosmopolitan Internationalist, Citizen of the Air, and a six-foot-five Texan. <laughs> you must be Lyra and Pantalema. And I presume you're Mr. Costa. You presume correctly. And I'm Hester, Lee's demon. And all the things he is except height. <laughs> and I'm a hare. I presume I was expected, little lady. Mr. Costa? Where's your balloon? There's two balloons, and both are packed up neat as the parson's hanky, compact as a herd of mustangs galloping through a ravine. I've flown over all things geographical, tableland, mountains, deserts, filled here and there with the optical illusions of cities and towns, where a person will look up at you, and they seem tall enough for you to ruffle their hair with your hand, though they're 3,000 feet below. But, blessed Purple Sage, I haven't asked how you got on with Yorick Bjornesson. Well, you know him. Hell, I've known Yorick for years. He's a problem and no mistake. He wants his armor back. And he'll be mad as hickory till he gets it. Oh, Mr. Costa, how'd you like to try your chance against a Texan with little practical experience at the gaming table? Lyra, while they're playing cards, go straight to the bear and tell him where his armor is. As soon as the townspeople know what's going on, they'll move it elsewhere. You're a Benson! Uh, well? Lord Far and Father Corum have gone to try and get your armour for you. But I know where it is. How do you know? Well, I've got a symbol reader. If I tell you, will you help me rescue the kids from Bolvanga? Yes. Why didn't you just make some more? My armor is made of sky iron. Where is it? You gotta promise not to take vengeance. All right. But they fight, they die. It's in the priest's house. I owe you a debt, Lyra Bellacqua. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.